Chapter Fifteen, Part Two, of How I Found Livingstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. How I Found Livingstone: Travels, Adventures, and Discoveries in Central Africa, Including Four Months' Residence with Dr. Livingstone, by Henry M. Stanley. Chapter Fifteen, Part Two, Homeward Bound. Livingstone's last words, the final farewell. The following items are extracted in their entirety from my diary. March twelfth. The Arabs have sent me as many as forty-five letters to carry to the coast. I am turned courier in my latter days, but the reason is that no regularly organized caravans are permitted to leave Unyanyembe now, because of the war with Mirambo. What if I had stayed all this time at Unyanyembe waiting for the war to end? It is my opinion that the Arabs will not be able to conquer Mirambo under nine months yet. Tonight the natives have gathered themselves together to give me a farewell dance in front of my house. I find them to be the Pagazis of Singari, chief of Mitesse's caravan. My men joined in, and captivated by the music despite myself, I also struck in, and performed the light fantastic, to the intense admiration of my braves, who were delighted to see their master unbend a little from his usual stiffness. It is a wild dance altogether. The music is lively, and evoked from the sonorous sound of four drums, which are arranged before the bodies of four men, who stand in the center of the weird circle. Bombay, as ever comical, never so much at home as when in the dance of the Marima, has my water-bucket on his head. Chowpara, the sturdy, nimble, sure-footed Chowpara, has an axe in his hand, and wears a goat-skin on his head. Baraka has my bear-skin, and handles a spear. Mabruki, the bull-headed, has entered into the spirit of the thing, and steps up and down like a solemn elephant. Ulimengo has a gun, and is a fierce draw-canseer, and you would imagine he was about to do battle to a hundred thousand, so ferocious is he in appearance. Kamisi and Kamna are before the drummers, back to back, kicking up ambitiously at the stars. Asmani, the embodiment of giant strength, a towering titan, has also a gun, with which he is dealing blows in the air, as if he were Thor, slaying myriads with his hammer. The scruples and passions of us all are in abeyance. We are contending demons under the heavenly light of the stars, enacting only the part of a weird drama, quickened into action and movement by the appalling energy and thunder of the drums. The warlike music is ended, and another is started. The Coragas has fallen on his knees, and dips his head two or three times in an excavation in the ground, and a choir, also on their knees, repeat in dolorous tones the last words of a slow and solemn refrain. The words are literally translated. Coragas. Oh, 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 the white man is going home. Choir. Oh, 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 going home, going home, oh, oh, oh. Coragas. To the happy island on the sea, where the beads are plenty, oh, oh, oh. Choir. Oh, 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 where the beads are plenty, oh, oh, oh. Coragas. While Singiri has kept us, oh, very long, from our homes, very long, oh, oh, oh. Choir, from our homes, oh, 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 oh. 
Coragus, and we have had no food for very long. We are half starved, oh, for so long. Bana Singiri. Choir. For so very long, oh, oh, oh. Bana Singiri, Singiri. Singiri, oh, Singiri. Coragus, Mirambo has gone to war to fight against the Arabs. The Arabs and Wangwana have gone to fight Mirambo. Choir. Oh, 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 to fight Mirambo. O oh, Mirambo, Mirambo, O oh, to fight Mirambo. Coragus. But the white man will make us glad he is going home, for he is going home, and he will make us glad. Shh, shh. Choir. The white man will make us glad. This is the singular farewell which I received from the Wanyamwezi of Tingiri and for its remarkable epic beauty, rhythmic excellence, and impassioned force, I have immortalized it in the pages of this book, as one of the most wonderful productions of the chorus-loving children of Unyamwezi. March 13th. The last day of my stay with Livingston has come and gone, and the last night we shall be together is present, and I cannot evade the morrow. I feel as though I would rebel against the fate which drives me away from him. The minutes beat fast and grow into hours. Our door is closed, and we are both of us busy with our own thoughts. What his thoughts are I know not. Mine are sad. My days seem to have been spent in an Elysian field. Otherwise, why should I so keenly regret the near approach of the parting hour? Have I not been battered by successive fevers? prostrate with agony day after day lately? Have I not raved and stormed in madness? Have I not clenched my fists in fury, and fought with the wild strength of despair when in delirium? Yet I regret to surrender the pleasure I have felt in this man's society, though so dearly purchased. I cannot resist the sure advance of time, which flies this night as if it mocked me, and gloated on the misery it created. Be it so, how many times have I not suffered the pang of parting with friends? I wished to linger longer, but the inevitable would come. Fate sundered us. This is the same regretful feeling, only it is more poignant, and the farewell may be forever. Forever! And forever echo the reverberations of a woeful whisper. I have noted down all he has said to-night, but the reader shall not share it with me. It is mine." I am as jealous as he is himself of his journal, and I have written in German text, and in round hand on either side of it, on the waterproof canvas cover, positively not to be opened, to which he has affixed his signature. I have stenographed every word he has said to me respecting the equitable distribution of certain curiosities among his friends and children, and his last wish about his dear old friend, Sir Roderick Murchison, because he has been getting anxious about him ever since we received the newspapers at Uganda, when we read that the old man was suffering from a paralytic stroke. I must be sure to send him the news, as soon as I get to Aden, and I have promised that he will receive the message from me quicker than anything was ever received in Central Africa. Tomorrow night, doctor, you will be alone. Yes, the house will look as though a death had taken place. You had better stop until the rains, which are now near, are over. I would to God I could, my dear doctor, but every day I stop here, now that there is no necessity for me to stay longer, keeps you from your work and home. 
I know, but consider your health. You are not fit to travel. What is it, only a few weeks longer? You will travel to the coast just as quickly when the rains are over as you will by going now. The plains will be inundated between here and the coast. You think so, but I will reach the coast in forty days. If not in forty, I will in fifty, certain. The thought that I am doing you an important service will spur me on. March 14th. At dawn we were up, the bales and baggage were taken outside of the building, and the men prepared themselves for the first march towards home. We had a sad breakfast together. I could not eat, my heart was too full, neither did my companion seem to have an appetite. We found something to do which kept us longer together. At eight o'clock I was not gone, and I had thought to have been off at five a.m. Doctor, said I, I will leave two men with you who will stop today and tomorrow with you, for it may be that you have forgotten something in the hurry of my departure. I will halt a day at Tura on the frontier of Unyamwezi for your last word and your last wish, and now we must part. There is no help for it. Goodbye. Oh, I am coming with you a little way. I must see you off on the road. Thank you. Now my men home. Karangozi, lift the flag and march. The house looked desolate. It faded from our view. Old times and the memories of my aspirations and kindling hopes came strong on me. The old hills round about, that I once thought tame and uninteresting, had become invested with histories and reminiscences for me. On that Burzani I have sat hour after hour, dreaming and hoping and sighing. On that coal I stood, watching the battle and the destruction of Tabora. Under that roof I have sickened and been delirious, and cried out like a child at the fate that threatened my mission. Under that banyan tree lay my dead comrade, poor Shaw. I would have given a fortune to have had him by my side at this time. From that house I started on my journey to Ujiji. To it I returned as to a friend, with a newer and dearer companion, and now I leave all. Already it appears like a strange dream. We walked side by side, the men lifted their voices into a song. I took long looks at Livingston to impress his features thoroughly on my memory. The thing is, doctor, so far as I can understand it, you do not intend to return home until you have satisfied yourself about the sources of the Nile. When you have satisfied yourself, you will come home and satisfy others. Is it not so? That is it exactly. When your men come back, I shall immediately start for Ufipa. Then, crossing the Rungwa River, I shall strike south, and round the extremity of the Tanganyika. Then a southeast course will take me to Chikumbis on the Laopula. On crossing the Laopula, I shall go direct west to the copper mines of Katanga. Eight days south of Katanga the natives declare the fountains to be. When I have found them, I shall return by Katanga to the underground houses of Rua. From the caverns, ten days northeast will take me to Lake Comolondo. I shall be able to travel from the lake, in your boat, up the river Lufira to Lake Lincoln. Then, coming down again, I can proceed north, by the Lualaba, to the fourth lake, which I think will explain the whole problem, and I will probably find that it is either Chawambe, Baker's Lake, or Piaggia's Lake. And how long do you think this little journey will take you? 
a year and a half at the furthest from the day I leave Unyanyembe. Suppose you say two years. Contingencies might arise, you know. It will be well for me to hire these new men for two years, the day of their engagement to begin from their arrival at Unyanyembe. Yes, that will do excellently well. Now, my dear doctor, the best friends must part. You have come far enough. Let me beg of you to turn back. Well, I will say this to you, you have done what few men could do, far better than some great travelers I know. And I am grateful to you for what you have done for me. God guide you safe home, and bless you, my friend. And may God bring you safe back to all of us, my dear friend. Farewell. Farewell. We wrung each other's hands, and I had to tear myself away before I unmanned myself. But Susie and Choma and Hamoyada, the doctor's faithful fellows, they must all shake and kiss my hands before I could quite turn away. I betrayed myself. Good-bye, doctor, dear friend. Good-bye. The farewell between Livingston and myself had been spoken. We were parted, he to do whatever fate destiny had yet in store for him, to battling against difficulties, to many, many days of marching through wildernesses, with little or nothing much to sustain him save his own high spirit and enduring faith in God, who would bring all things right at last, and I to that which destiny may have in store for me. But though I may live half a century longer, I shall never forget that parting scene in Central Africa. I shall never cease to think of the sad tones of that sorrowful word farewell, how they permeated through every core of my heart, how they clouded my eyes, and made me wish unutterable things which could never be. An audacious desire to steal one embrace from the dear old man came over me, and almost unmanned me. I felt tempted to stop with him and assist him on his long return march to the fountain region, but these things were not to be, any more than many other impulsive wishes, and despite the intensified emotions which filled both of us, save by silent tears and a tremulous parting word, we did not betray our stoicism of manhood and race. I assumed a gruff voice and ordered the expedition to march, and I resolutely turned my face toward the eastern sky. But ever and anon my eyes would seek that deserted figure of an old man in gray clothes, who with bended head and slow steps was returning to his solitude, the very picture of melancholy, and each time I saw him, as the plain was wide and clear of obstructions, I felt my eyes stream, and my heart swell with a vague, indefinable feeling of foreboding and sorrow. I thought of his lonely figure sitting day after day on the Berzani of his house, which by all caravans from the coast would have to pass, and of the many, many times he would ask the newcomers whether they had passed any men coming along the road for him, and I thought, as each day passed, and his stores and letters had not arrived, how he would grieve at the lengthening delay. I then felt strong again, as I had felt that so long ago as I should be doing service for Livingston. I was not quite parted from him, and by doing the work effectively and speedily the bond of friendship between us would be strengthened. Such thoughts spurred me to the resolution to march so quickly for the coast that Arabs in after-time should marvel at the speed with which the white man's caravan travelled from Unyanyembe to Zanzibar. I took one more look at him. He was standing near the gate of Kwikuru with his servants near him. 
I waved a handkerchief to him as a final token of farewell, and he responded to it by lifting his cap. It was the last opportunity, for we soon surmounted the crest of a land wave, and began the descent into the depression on the other side, and I never saw him more. God grant, dear reader, that if you ever take to travelling in Central Africa, you find as good and true a man for your companion as I found in noble David Livingstone. For four months and four days he and I occupied the same house, or the same tent, and I never had one feeling of resentment against him, nor did he show any against me, and the longer I lived with him, the more did my admiration and reverence for him increase. What were Livingstone's thoughts during the time which elapsed between my departure for the coast and the arrival of his supplies may be gathered from a letter which he wrote on the 2nd of July to Mr. John F. Webb, American consul at Zanzibar. I have been waiting up here like Simeon Stylites on his pillar, and counting every day, and conjuring each step taken by our friend towards the coast, wishing and praying that no sickness might lay upon him, no accident befall him, and no unlooked-for combinations of circumstances render his kind intentions vain or fruitless. Mr. Stanley had got over the tendency to the continued form of fever, which is the most dangerous, and was troubled only with the intermittent form, which is comparatively safe, or I would not have allowed him, but would have accompanied him to Zanzibar. I did not tell himself so, nor did I say what I thought, that he really did a very plucky thing in going through the Marambo War in spite of the remonstrances of all the Arabs, and from Ujiji guiding me back to Unyanyembe. The war, as it is called, is still going on. The danger lay not so much in the actual fighting as in the universal lawlessness the war engendered. End of chapter 15, part 2